If you would, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 is where we're going to be this morning in God's Word as we continue to work our way through the Gospel of Matthew. Just to give you a heads up about where we're, where we're heading, we're going to have a time of, of talking about an important topic that impacts all of our lives and how we learn from God's Word about how to approach this particular thing that we, we deal with. And so we're going to study Scripture together. When we get to the end of that time of studying Scripture together, we're going to stand up and sing a song about the hope that we have in Christ. During that song, if you need someone to pray for you, if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, baptism, what that kid did up there, I've never done that. I need to be baptized as a follower of Jesus, or I need to talk to someone about what it means to trust in Jesus. During that invitation, during that response time, we are going to be up here and we would be honored to pray with you. You may just want to come and spend some time praying at the front. Know that you can do that. After that final song, we're going to take up our, our offering we missed the offering last week, not necessarily on purpose, but we did. So we really, we didn't, we trust the Lord to provide. We're probably not going to miss two weeks in a row if we, can, uh, if we can help it. But we'll take up the offering at the end. And if you have one of those prayer cards or one of those guest cards, uh, there's a way we can care for you. And you want to put that in the plate at the end of the service, just know that you can do that at that time. So here's what I want to do right now before we get into the sermon. I'd just like us to be able to slow down and have a moment of prayer together. I'd like to be able to pray over you for us to be able to focus our hearts and minds on the Lord after we've sang together, had this time of worship. So let's bow together right now. We're going to pray and then uh, get right here into Scripture. Father, thank you for the gift of this time together. God, thank you for baptism, for what that represents of your work in our lives, God, that going down into the water of Jesus dying for us to take away our sins and then coming up out of the water, his resurrection from the dead, meaning that death is not the end of the story for us, God, that death is overcome. And then we exit the water and we live for you. And God, I pray for every person in here that if they have not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, that you would work in their life this morning, that they would see their need for you, and God, that that is a decision that they would make this morning, this Christmas season. God, I pray for people who are going into hard situations this next week. Uh, Christmas is a wonderful time, but it can be so emotional. God, I pray for people who are hurting this Christmas season, maybe the first Christmas season uh, with a loved one not with them, or maybe the Christmas season that's going to bring some hard conversations with family or friends. God, we pray for your presence and your power in our lives this week. Help us to know how to share your love and comfort and joy with others. And God, right now, speak to us in a fresh way about the hope we have in Christ. God, let our hearts be open to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so yesterday when I was talking to my family uh, about what I was going to preach about this morning, my kids and my wife said, you have to show them this to be able to explain what you're going to preach about. So watch this quick little video that kind of prepares us for what's coming this morning, all right? Watch this video. It's almost go time, okay? You're too old to cry this year. Remember, what's your line? Santa, I want a tracker boat for Christmas. You got it? Okay, hey, let's do this. Merry Christmas. 
This one is from Uncle Dave. Oh, all right, new grill spatula. Guessing I should go ahead and open mine from Uncle Dave. Got a killer deal, three for 20. Oh, nice. wait, three? Oh. Andrew hasn't opened his yet. Oh, nice! Kristen, remember, we're trying to save that wrapping paper for next year. Got it. Yeah, you have to. Six hours? I mean, it's a trampoline and a basketball goal. I don't need this. They must have given me like four trampolines in this box. That $25 fully assembled fee ain't sounding too shabby right now. JP, Amanda, Kobe, Tyler, Garrett, uh, and anyone else I forgot. <laughs> All right, kiddos, this is from Uncle Kobe. Y'all are up next. <laughs> okay, this is good. Last year, he got you a hammer. going don't worry it keeps going so uh the dude perfect guys always come through there rage monster he really goes on a rage there all right summer late summer of 2015 
Our family was living in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, just east of New Orleans, and we were in conversation with some folks from Emmaus Baptist Church in Oklahoma City about the possibility of, of moving here to serve as pastor, and we decided, let's take our kids to the movie. And so we decided to go watch this movie we didn't know very much about called Inside Out. Uh, we get there, and it turns out Inside Out is about all these emotions that this young girl is facing as her family is preparing to move to another location. So Amanda and I are just a mess in the back of the theater, just bawling, crying. Our kids can't figure out what all the emotions are related to, and she's dealing with this. And one of the characters in Inside Out is anger, one of these things that we deal with inside and and. Anger has this great line in the movie about, congratulations, San Francisco, you've ruined pizza, but you guys, it gets a pizza with broccoli on it. He's like, first the Hawaiians, then you. Uh, and so all this anger that's built up inside, here's where we're trying to get. Here's the deal. Anger is funny until it's not. Anger is funny until you're scared to go home at the end of the day. Anger is funny until you're scared to go to work. Anger is funny until you're scared of yourself. When you have to ask hard questions like, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? Or, or where did it come from? Let's face it, anger is embarrassing. Anger is embarrassing when you're the pastor and you have to write the apology note to your friends at First Baptist Church because you threw the basketball across the gym at the end of the little kids game that you were coaching, um, it's embarrassing. Anger is embarrassing. Anger is expensive. Anger is expensive when you have to repair things, when you've got to try to repair relationships. There's a lot that comes with anger. And you say, well, you know what, Owen? I've never really hit anybody or hurt anybody or yelled at anybody. Did you know that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about a type of anger that's not necessarily expressed outwardly, but it's inside. And you may not show your anger or express your anger the way some people do, but you are angry a lot internally. You stuff it in there and other people don't see it, but really it's eating you up. What do we do with this idea of anger? Why are we talking about anger? Well, here's the deal. Coming up on a holiday season, emotions run high, and so it's appropriate to talk about anger this time of year. But specifically, we're talking about anger because of something that is happening in the set of verses that we've been looking at in the Gospel of Matthew. So we are going to look at these verses. We're going to study them together this morning. We're going to step back and look at anger across the pages of the Bible. And then we're going to tie it back together at the end with one word in Scripture that always fits together with the topic of anger. Now, there's a lot to cover. I realize that. Here's the thing. I've put together a document, uh, kind of an ebook about the biblical theology of anger. If you're on our email list, I'm going to email this out to you. Don't forward it to all your friends saying, Merry Christmas, here's your, here's your information about anger. Or your family members before you, just come to your family gathering with little printouts of, of this booklet. But uh, I want to provide this because there's a lot going on. If you don't have access to email or you're not able to print things off, I've got a few copies out there by the coffee bar that you can pick up. Let's stop that conversation and get into Scripture. All right, here we go. Matthew 21, 
What does God's word say about the topic of anger? How are we going to handle this? What are we going to think about this? Matthew 21, we're going to start in verse 12. Let's study this together. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. We talked a couple of weeks ago how about how this verse blows up many of our ideas about the Sunday school Jesus or the Jesus that never confronts anyone or never deals with anything. Here's a Jesus with some intensity and even, if we'll be appropriate with the word, some anger. We're going to talk about a righteous type of anger and a dangerous type of anger. Here's a Jesus that is responding with intensity to something that has happened. But here's the key. He's not out of control. This is not a temper tantrum. This is something very deliberate because you see in the next verse what's happening in verse 13. He said to them, to these people that he's confronting, these religious folks in the temple area, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Why is Jesus so intense? Why is he so angry? Why is he responding in the way that he is? It's because of the way that people are treating the holiness of God. They are going away from the purpose of God's temple. They're going away from the teaching of Scripture. They're living in a way that is dangerous to the spiritual health of people around them. And Jesus responds with intensity, with anger about what's happening there. But you notice that the blind and the lame, they're not scared to come to him. They come to him and they experience a welcome, they experience healing, they experience hope. And so you find something really quickly here about Jesus' anger being directed toward the religious people who were living lives that were not holy, that were not honoring to the Lord, but he's not angry at the people who are weak and hurting and most in need. He is compassionate and hopeful and merciful to them. Now look at the next verses. Verse 15. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were, they were angry. And they said to him, do you hear what these people are saying? Now you see the opposite of that. Who did Jesus get angry with? He got angry with the people who called themselves religious but were actually not honoring the Lord. Who did the religious people get upset and angry with? The children and the people who were hurting. We learn a lot about what's going on in our heart by who we get angry at, by what bothers us, by what angers us. When life is not in a good place, hear me out on this, this is not always, but when life is not in a good place, we find ourselves so short-tempered with children and so short-tempered with people who are actually hurting and desperately in need. And we let all the people in power get by, and we find ourselves directing our emotions at people who are most vulnerable, who most need our care. And so what you find here in Matthew 21 are two completely different ways of expressing anger, about expressing frustration about what's going on here. You have Jesus' example, and then you have the example of the religious leaders. Verse 16, carrying on there, watch what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, yeah, that's true, but have you never read 
out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Jesus turns it right back around on them, and then leaving them in verse 17, he went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. In the morning, verse 18, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Okay, now we're, not, we're about to get into the heart of this, so we're about to get into the key verse that's going to help us understand what's happening here. Two quick points while we're here on, on this scripture. First is, notice how the story is keeping everything around Jerusalem, everything around the temple. So we, we know that these stories are all directed to what's going to happen in the temple, what's going to happen in Jerusalem. So that's the first thing to notice. Another thing to notice in these verses in particular is Jesus is fully divine. He is fully God with us, but he is also fully human. And so you find Jesus experiencing things like tiredness. He goes to rest. He goes to lodge there. You find Jesus experiencing things like hunger. And so when you say things like, you know what, I struggle with anger, but Jesus wouldn't know anything about that temptation. Remember, he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. So when you think to yourself, Jesus didn't know anything about being tempted by anger, we find out that's actually not true, that he did know these temptations. He did know this suffering. He knew tiredness. He knew hunger. Look in verse 19. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and found nothing on it but leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Okay, I don't know if you use this word in, in your home, but it's the word hanger. You're familiar with the word hanger, right? It's hunger plus anger. Get you hanger. Uh, many of us, when we find ourselves getting angry, it can be tracked back to the fact that we're hungry, that our blood sugar's not cooperating, that there's something else going in our body. And so we'd be tempted here. Remember back in verse 18, it talked about how Jesus was hungry. And you're like, okay, verse 19, is he just responding out of hunger? Is, is there something going on here? Why is Jesus casting judgment on this fig tree? And this is one of those verses in the Bible where you start to peel back the layers, and there is so much going on in this verse. This thing is just full of meaning and backdrop and stuff that's happening there. When you see fig tree there, that's not simply a random plant. Fig tree in the Old Testament is often associated with the fruitfulness of God's people. It's associated with the people of Israel. It's associated with God's desire for his people to live the life that he has called them to live. So Jesus is not picking on a random plant here. What he is doing, don't miss how this all works together because it's so much fun when it comes together. What Jesus is doing here is he is enacting the third of three very purposeful symbolic actions. He rode into the city on a donkey he cleared out the temple, he overturned the tables and drove out this evil from the temple, and now he's going to cast judgment on this fig tree. It's the third of symbolic actions that are all meant to fit together about Jesus bringing judgment on a group of people who were not living lives of faith and who are not doing what God had called them to do. 
And so when you find out that this fig tree found nothing on it but only leaves. Here's the thing about this fig tree. It was not the time of year that you would normally find fruit or find figs on this tree. It wasn't yet the time that you would normally find it. But what Jesus is drawing from here as his example is the fig tree has all these leaves on it. It looks like it should have fruit, but it doesn't. Do you know what Jesus is so bothered by, by the religious people in in Jerusalem? They look good, but there's no fruit. When Jesus casts judgment on this fig tree, he is casting judgment on an approach to life with God where everything looks good, but there's no fruit. There's no faith. There's nothing that comes of it. And so he says, may no fruit ever come from you again, and the fig tree withered at once. There's judgment that's being cast on the temple, judgment that's being cast on the people who look great on the outside but aren't producing faith, aren't producing fruit. Look at the next verse. See how the, see how the disciples respond. When the disciples saw this, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? They're not so much surprised that the fig tree withers. They're surprised that it was so immediate. They're so surprised that it has come. But when Jesus does this, he's drawing on Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah chapter 7, all these passages that have been leading to this point of judgment coming, but not just judgment, but also salvation. Look in the next verse. Because Jesus does something very surprising in the next verse. Jesus, in verse 21, answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Now, if we're honest with each other, If you're just reading through these verses, sitting down at home or sitting down studying these verses, you don't expect faith to show up here. This is not the topic that you expect to show up. You you expect Jesus to address all kinds of topics, but faith is very surprising here. But what had been missing so much among the temple had been missing among the people? It was faith and it was fruitfulness. And Jesus says here, if you have faith, You will be able to do this, and you can say to this mountain, which mountain? Well, there's a boatload of controversy about which mountain Jesus is referring to. Most likely, though, he's either referring to the Mount of Olives, which is going to be right beside them as this incident is happening, or he's maybe even referring to the Temple Mount, to the mount where the the temple would have been placed. And so it's another way that Jesus is bringing this story around to say, I've not called you to live in this way about the world's power and strength. I've called you to live by faith and a faith that produces fruit that leads to repentance that is good for the people around you. And then he gets down to verse 22. Or 22. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Two of the topics that Jesus has been dealing with up to this point, after a situation about anger and holiness and judgment on the temple, he brings it all around and he talks about faith 
and he talks about prayer. And what we're going to find at the end of the day today is when you take the topic of anger and the type of anger that every one of us struggles with, the temptation to lash out at people, the temptation to take control, the temptation to just be overcome by all of this emotion and anger, how do I deal with this? Prayer and faith. Those are the two biblical responses to anger. Here's what I want to do. I want you to see how this works across the pages of the Bible. Remind you of a diagram we use at Emmaus a lot. If this is your first time at Emmaus or you haven't been around for a while, this diagram is going to be new to you. If you've been around Emmaus for a while, uh, I love it when little kids draw this diagram and give it to me. It's just a reminder that it's sticking, like we're, we're getting this. Let me walk you through this if this is new to you. In the upper left, you have God's design. This is God's design for the world. This is God's design for his people. This is Genesis 1 and 2, how God has created us to live as his people. When we go away from God's design, that's called sin. Moving away from God's design, moving away from how he's created us to live is sin. We're rebelling, and sin always leads to brokenness. And honestly, you can even take the word brokenness out of there, and you can write death. The wages of sin is death. And so sin leads to brokenness. And when we live in broken lives and we live in a broken world, we're tempted to deal with that on our own. And all those squiggly lines going out of the brokenness circle, those are human attempts to deal with the brokenness in our life. It shows up in bad relationships. It shows up in alcohol and drugs and gambling. It shows up when we just become passive aggressive and turn in and become very selfish. There's a hundred different ways that we deal with brokenness that are wrong. And you know what they do? They take us further and further from God's design for our lives. What's the hope? The hope is that we would repent and we would believe in the gospel. The word gospel just being the word good news. The good news of what Jesus has done. And when we repent and we believe in the gospel, we're able to recover and pursue God's design for our life. So you think about that idea. Now let's walk through that. God's design is for peace. He created a world where we would live in peace and harmony, where we would live lives where we flourish, where we do what he's created us to do. But we know that sin has come into the picture. Genesis chapter 3. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, you guys, yeah, thanks for that. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, you start to see sin and brokenness showing up. And you find words like cursed and enmity, and ruling over, and being driven out, and sore. All this stuff that has nothing to do with peace starts to show up in the story. And then you get to chapter 4. When you get to chapter 4, verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. You guys go to the next slide. We'll keep reading through there. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Why did the Lord regard Abel's offering? It was because of faith, which is our key word for this morning. So Cain was very angry. The first time you see anger, human anger, showing up in Scripture here. Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. 
Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule, it ov- rule over it. So anger is related to our desires. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So you see human anger reaching even the point of murder here. But watch what happens in verse 15. Now Cain is worried that someone is going to take revenge on him. And the Lord said to him, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Vengeance by whom? By God. You see the role that God begins to play in the anger that people face. Look at the next slide here. Some more examples of human anger in the Old Testament. Esau hated his brother Jacob. Anger in the Bible is often related to sibling relationships. And I know many of you in here say, yeah, I've experienced that. When it comes to anger, you feel it most acutely when you're talking about those family relationships, those sibling relationships. Jacob was angry at his wife, Rachel. He's angry because she's not able to have a child. And so what happens is it's anger directed at God, but it gets transferred to another people, another person. And you realize this is how anger works, right? Anger, when you're angry at someone, sometimes it's that person's fault, but oftentimes anger is one of those emotions we transfer to people. I'm angry at this person over here, but I show it to this person over here that has nothing to do with my situation. It gets, it gets transferred, and, and this anger that he has toward his wife for a situation that she could never control to begin with. Um, interesting side point, in the New Testament, in 1 Peter, we find that if a husband does not live gently with his wife, understandingly with his wife, if, if he's angry toward her, that immediately hinders his prayers before the Lord. Moses' killing of an Egyptian amid this rising violence, and then there's, there's testimony in the law about dealing with anger. Look at the next slide as we keep kind of moving through here. Genesis chapter 49, Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence are their swords. Oh my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, their wrath, for it is cruel." When you start to think about how do we handle anger, there's writings in the Old Testament called the wisdom writings. Probably the most famous of these are in the book of Proverbs. If you struggle with anger, this document that I'm going to email out tomorrow has all of these verses from the book of Proverbs about addressing anger. And there's so many things in there like Proverbs 29, a man of wrath stirs up strife. One given to anger causes much transgression. (laughs) So it starts at anger, and before you know it, you've caused more trouble than you ever meant to cause when that anger first broke out. Let's talk about the other side of this. Let's talk about God's anger. Because when you go through the Old Testament and you start to research anger, human anger shows up, but you find a lot of times that God is angry. What makes God angry? Jealousy. You're like, come on, Owen. What, what do you mean by jealousy? Is it right that God is jealous? God is jealous when he sees his people going after other gods. Think about it this way. A spouse, a spouse who was not angry when they saw their spouse going after another lover, you would wonder about their love to begin with in the first place. 
A husband who's not angry if he sees his wife going away to someone else, or a wife who's not angry when she sees her husband going to someone else, that is appropriate jealous anger because of that covenant relationship. That kindles the Lord's anger. Sin and unholiness that ends up destroying his creation, or, or injustice that is done to those who are weak and vulnerable, those are the things that make God angry. But understand this next slide about God's anger. When God is angry, he is angry from a perfect character of love. God does not have temper tantrums. God is not childlike in his anger. God is not out of control. He is responding from a place of perfect love, perfect wisdom, perfect holiness, and it's always directed toward this sin and this injustice that's going to destroy creation. Because when God's anger is described, he's also described as a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in love. And you might say, well, yeah, but that's the Old Testament God. He's angry all the time. What about the New Testament? Remember, 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 there is not a new God that shows up in the New Testament. Jesus coming as God with us in the New Testament is not a different God from the Old Testament. He is continuing to show God's love and God's holiness and God's justice. He confronts sin. He gets angry at those who are prideful, but he shows compassion to the weak. And we are reminded in the New Testament how dangerous anger is, but also what it means to leave vengeance to the Lord. God, you're in control. I trust you. Okay, now let me point you to some New Testament verses that are going to bring all this around back to this idea of faith. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 begins in this way. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? You ask this about your children all the time. <laughs> Why did you get in a fight? What caused that? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions... Your desires are at war within you. So we know that when anger, quarreling, fighting shows up, it has something to do with these passions, with these desires, with these feelings that are going on inside us that are battling. Look at the next verse. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You reach out. You try to take it for yourself. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Just a few minutes ago, those verses we looked at in Matthew chapter 21, do you know how that section ended? With faith and prayer. What overcomes anger? What overcomes coveting? What overcomes these things? Faith in God to provide what we need and prayer, asking for him instead of reaching out and showing anger or violence towards someone around us. How do you deal with anger? Faith. Faith in God. He said, Owen, oh, I need something more practical. I understand. We're, we're going to get there, okay? We're going to get there. But until you get this point, you'll end up missing all that God wants to do in your life. I struggle with anger. I have a spouse who struggles with anger. I have kids who struggle with anger. What's going on? How do we address this from a biblical perspective when we talk about this topic? When you feel angry, anger 
is an opportunity for faith in God. The next time you lash out in anger at someone, the next time you feel that anger building up inside you, the next time you experience a situation full of anger, here's the question to ask. In this situation, how am I not trusting the Lord the way I need to? I get angry, I lash out at someone, the question I have to ask is, in this situation, what's going on that I am not trusting in the Lord the way that I need to? How do we have this faith in this situation? We trust in Jesus more than we trust in ourselves. We say, Lord, I continue to struggle. I continue to fail, but I trust in you to overcome sin and death. And then we say, Lord, you've got to take You've got to take control of this situation. Angry people are controlling people. We get angry because a situation seems out of control. And when we can say, Lord, I trust you with this situation. I trust you with this person. I'm going to have faith in you. I'm going to reject destructive anger. I'm going to put that to the side. And I'm going to figure out how to focus my anger on what really matters, on what really deserves my focus. If you look at this next slide, we'll kind of think through this maybe on a little bit, some really practical steps, what this looks like. When you're dealing with anger and you're trying to think, Lord, how do I have faith in this situation? How do I live out faith in this situation? You've got to begin by pulling up those roots of anger. Here's where you need a good friend or someone who is willing to speak into your life to say, I've got to figure out where this anger is coming from. What's going on that I'm not trusting the Lord? Where does anger come from? It comes from jealousy. It comes from a desire for control. It comes from trauma, either past trauma or grief that you're going through right now. It comes from poor choices. When you fail to plan ahead and you're running behind and you lash out in anger at the fast food drive through window person, it's not really their fault, is it? It's your fault because you were running behind. You didn't plan well. That's where the anger comes from. It, we make poor choices, and then we lash out at others because of what's going on in those situations. Let me help, help you guard against something. If you struggle with anger, it can be tempting to say, well, I just, shouldn't, I just don't even need to care about anything. That's the most dangerous direction to go. The opposite of anger is not apathy. People who struggle with anger are often the most loving people you'll ever meet. They can be so angry, but they can turn around and be the most loyal friends you'll ever have. People who struggle with anger are often very productive and very driven. They're very successful, but there's this piece of anger that threatens to take that away. If you struggle with anger, the opposite of that is not caring about anything. What you're trying to figure out is, how do I care about what really matters? What gets us in trouble a lot of times is we run into a level three problem and we treat it like a level 10 problem. So we give level 10 emotions to something that really wasn't that important. What we have to do is figure out, Lord, what do you care about? What are you calling me to give my life to and how do I do that in a way that honors you? How do we have faith? How do we overcome this anger? Praise and prayer Lord, I trust you, I praise you, I need people around me. And you get really, really good at repenting, forgiving. Repenting, forgiving. Repenting, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. 
work in my life. When you find yourself struggling with anger, how is this an opportunity for faith? When you find yourself struggling with anger, don't run away from the source of hope. Don't run away from the people who care for you. Don't run away from the church. Don't run away from the God who loves you. The story of Christmas is that God has come right into our mess. God has come to us, and he comes to us bringing peace and joy and hope and comfort. Lord, we trust you. We believe that you have overcome sin and death. We believe that you have come among your people, and we will praise you, and we will live lives of prayer, and we will live lives of faith because you alone are worthy of our worship. Here in just a second, we're going to sing a song about the hope that we have in Christ, this living hope that continues to guide us every day. Let me ask you during this song to do a couple of things. If you need to begin today as a follower of Jesus, you say, I've never been baptized, I've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, Right now, during this psalm, this is your opportunity to respond and say, I want to do that. I want to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. I want to know more about this salvation. This is your chance to do that. If you are eaten up by anger, you know this is something you struggle with, and you just need to come for a time of prayer. You can pray with the people around you. You can come here to the front and pray, either by yourself or with someone else. Don't waste this opportunity, please. Let's respond to the Lord however he's leading us to do that. Let me pray for us, and we're going to sing this song. God, I know when we think about anger, the first thing that comes to mind is usually not faith. But over and over in your word, we see that faith is the one thing that drives out anger. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we trust you to be God and we stop being God. God, we are people who want to be in control. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to be in control of situations. And when life feels out of control, we get angry. But God, you are a gracious and merciful God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love. And so we come before you right now, God, praying for your forgiveness praying for your grace and mercy in our lives. God, I pray that you would restore marriages, that you would restore sibling relationships, that you would restore families and friendships. God, help us to do the hard work of living lives of faith, of living lives where we deal with some of these deep issues that we're facing, and we do it in a way that honors you. God, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ that we're going to sing about right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.